Welcome back to our study of Proverbs, and we're in chapter 5, and um, I'm going to read the same text that I read um, in our last session because we're, we're still there, but we're going to kind of move away from Proverbs and, and bring in some other verses from the New Testament. So let's, uh, let's look at chapter 5, and we'll start reading at verse 15. Drink water from your own cistern and fresh water from your own well. Should your springs be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be yours alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth as a loving hind and a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated always with her love. For why should you, my son, be exhilarated with an adulteress and embrace the bosom of a foreigner? For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he watches all his paths. His own iniquities will capture the wicked, and he will be held with the cords of his sin. He will die for lack of instruction, and in the greatness of his folly, he will go astray. Um, let's, let's begin by asking the Lord to help us. Now, I know I'm praying now, and this video won't be released for a while, or maybe someone will be listening to this video um, who knows, five years from now. But you realize that um, you can pray, especially for yourself, that the Lord will uh, illuminate your mind or that he will help others who may see the video to understand biblical truth and apply it to their life. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this great opportunity. Thank you for everyone who is watching this video. And I pray, dear God, that they would know your son savingly, lovingly. That, Lord, they would persevere in the faith. They would press on to know the Lord, resting in his perfect work on their behalf. I pray that they would study scripture especially in this dark, dark age, that they would study scripture and that it would be, Lord, internalized in them, that uh, become a part of them. Lord, like they said of your servant, uh, John Bunyan, that if you, if you cut him, he would bleed the Bible. Oh God, especially the young people, help them, save them, and go on saving them, Lord, until they stand before you perfect, Perfect, Lord, through the blood of Christ. Now, Lord, help us, illumine our minds, give us speech that we might teach your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, to begin with, remember we were dealing with a principle from this text that not only applies to marriage and children and brothers and sisters, but also to God and God's righteousness. And that is this, that the Christian life is more than just saying no to temptation, to sin. It is also saying yes to God and righteousness. And that the best way to have power over temptation, to, to, to defeat sin in our life, is not just to fight against it, but to cultivate a relationship with God and to cultivate a relationship with his word.
Now, the immediate context here is that the best way to avoid the temptation of an adulterer or an adulteress who wants to break up a marriage is to strengthen that marriage. Um, if you're always looking at your wife because you delight in her, you won't be looking somewhere else. If you always uh, are looking at your husband because you delight in him, then uh, you're not going to look somewhere else. And so it's the idea of cultivation. And um, this is a principle, I think, that just isn't taught as it should be, not as frequently as it should be, is that we're always saying, say no, say no, say no. But it, 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 it's not enough. If you say yes, yes, yes to God and his righteousness, uh, to your husband, your wife, your family, then it's going to be a lot easier to say no to everything else. Now, one thing before we go on is, is this. Um, if, if you watch television or media or YouTube, and I, I don't recommend watching a lot of it, um, you'll find that they're always kind of looking down on marriage. You know, the, the hero in the movie is usually not married. Um, or the people who are in a sitcom and they're all having fun together, they're usually all single. Um, that is just not true. Young people, listen to me. Marriage and families ordained by God. And uh, think about it. No one loves you like God loves you. And no one knows you like God knows you. And no one is as wise as God is wise. So if he ordains marriage and family and says it's the best thing for you, well, it's the best thing for you. Who, who else are you going to believe? Hollywood? And yet Hollywood seems to constantly want to tell us that you can't find satisfaction in marriage. You can't find satisfaction in family. But they also tell us you can't find satisfaction in God and you can't find satisfaction in servanthood. Um, you can find satisfaction according to them in the world. But you need to understand something. The world's propaganda is much different than its reality. The world has amazing signs. But when you get behind those signs, you see nothing but misery. So don't believe the lie. As young people, you need to not overly so, but and certainly not with anxiety, but you need to think about marriage, um, even when you're young and you need to pray for your husband. Um, if you're probably, like I said, eight or nine years old, your husband's probably alive already on this planet. He needs your prayers, your protection especially you young men. Now, some of you, we need to just grab you uh, by the collar and pull you up straight and tell you that you need to be holy because one day you will be married and you need to present yourself to a girl as a man who is holy and pure and you need to be her protector now. You need to pray for her now, okay? All right, having said that, we, we're, we're in the Old Testament, of course, the book of Proverbs, and we're talking about how we don't just need to flee from sin, but we need to run to righteousness. And we just kind of looked at 
um, two texts in the New Testament. We're going to go back to those, but we're going to add another also. So we're going to look at three texts, and they're all very, very important with regard to this principle, especially the last one. The last one we're going to look at, when I, when I learned this truth, um, man, was it helpful in the battle against sin. Okay, so let's go back to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11. But flee from these things. Now, at certain times in the book of Proverbs, we're going to look at the fool. And you know what the fool does? The fool, he doesn't do this. He doesn't flee from foolish and harmful, sinful things. He actually draws near to them. He sees danger coming. He stays in the street. He uh, wanders by the house of the adulteress. He gets closer and closer. Just a look, just a peek, just a word, nothing more. It's harmless, but it's not harmless. The closer you get to the flame, the more likely you are not just to be burned, but to be drawn into it and destroyed. So the idea is flee, run. <laughs> I remember one time crossing, I had to cross a field. I don't know if I was going fishing or what I was doing. It was on our, our farm and uh, we had this big uh, bull, Charlet bull, huge, huge. And normally it was pretty passive, but he saw me. I was about probably eight or nine years old and he saw me and he took off at a dead run. What do you think I did? I stood there, ran to meet him. No, I took off at a dead run. And uh, actually there was a big old hardwood there. I don't know if it's maple or oak or whatever, but he and I went around that tree several times. And fortunately there was a barbed wire fence and I was skinny. And uh, when I got a little few steps ahead of that, <laughs> that Charley bull, I just, I Peter panned it right through that barbed wire. And uh, cause I figured it was better to meet that barbed wire than that bull. I ran, I ran for my life. It was terrifying. That's what he's talking about here. This is not running from a butterfly. It's not running from some silly little squirrel. It's running from something that will destroy you. And here's the bad thing. It will destroy you slowly and leave you in misery so that actually you want to die. Yeah, sin is deadly. There's no way I can exaggerate how deadly sin is. Sin destroys men, women, children, nations, the world. So he says, run from it. He doesn't say fight it. He doesn't say call it out, like call it out in the street and tell it to come on. You're ready for it. You're not ready for it. I'm not ready for it. No one's ready for it. Run from it. Avoid it at all cost. You know, you can have boasting rights of saying you've never been beaten in a fight by a man who weighed 300 pounds and was a professional boxer. And people say, that's amazing. How did you do it? Well, I never met one. You see, avoid sin. Don't go to places where you're going to be tempted. And that's not just physical places. It's cyber places. Don't go there. Just don't go there. So, but flee from these things. What are these things? In verse 9 of 1 Timothy 6, it's foolish and harmful desires. Foolish. I know we make fun of foolishness. You know, 
We even laugh about foolishness. Well, we're going to see that in the book of Proverbs, foolishness is deadly. It's, it's, it's the foolishness in which God tells you, don't walk that way, you'll die. And you laughingly walk that way. You're kind of like, a, you know, the whole world is kind of like just a bunch of clowns beating drums and marching off the marching off a cliff. Foolish and harmful desires run from them. Now, he says desires notice. He doesn't just say temptation from outside, but desires within. When you see something bubbling up in you that desires something that God has prohibited, well, kill it. And if you can't kill it, uh, go to your father, your mother, go, go to a godly pastor, go to someone and say, I'm struggling and, and this is growing in me. OK, but flee from these things, you man of God. Uh, I know that it's it's talking here to Timothy, who was a, a emissary of Paul and um, a minister of Christ. And so you say, how do you apply that to uh, to children? Well, quite easily. Look at it. Man of God. Um, man of God. So of God is a genitive. OK, it can be a genitive of possession, a man owned by God, a genitive of description. A man who is marked by God, you can't understand him apart from understanding his relationship with God. Do you realize that both those things apply to you? Even if you're eight years old, you're a child of God. Now, I mean, a young person of God, you belong to God. You don't even belong to yourself. You belong to him. He made you. He sustains you and he has the right to command you. OK, but also not only do you belong to him, whether you recognize it or not, you need to recognize it and have a relationship with him so that no one can understand you apart from understanding your relationship with God. Why do you do that? Because of Jesus. Why do you do that? Because of Jesus, because of God, because of what he's done for me. Paul said that he was constrained by the love of Christ. That meant that the love of Christ, it literally changed everything in his life and directed everything. Everything he did was somehow connected back to the great love of Christ, which was demonstrated on Calvary. And that should be you and, uh, and I also. Now, he says, flee, you man of God, and pursue chase after run the word is sometimes used uh, in the Greek to mean like when you're persecuting someone. So uh, imagine, imagine for a moment, this happened to me one time. <laughs> I was a little boy. I got in a lot of trouble. So we had these wild dogs uh, that were kind of on our, on our ranch and, and uh, they're, they're, they're really difficult to deal with because they're wild and they're dangerous, but at the same time, they don't really have that much fear of man. And, and I was uh, out in the woods one time and they started chasing me, some of them. I remember as a little boy, I was, I was actually trapping. Uh, and uh, I took off running and I, I, I can remember that fear. So imagine you for a moment and you're being chased by a pack of dogs, okay? And, and they're just ravenous. They're coming for you and coming for you. I mean, it's just, just violent chase. 
Well, that's what it's talking about here. Pursue these good things. Chase after them like you were in a pack of wild dogs, except you need to be in a pack of godly Christians and you're all running with all your might. You're hungry. You want it, right? But what do you want? Righteousness. What is righteousness? Well, I want you to imagine a standard, okay, by which everything else is judged. Let's see. Let's get it straight here. Everything else is judged. Okay, to be conformed to that standard, you'd have to be kind of like this, wouldn't you? So you're parallel. You're, you look just like the standard. Well, the standard is God's character. And God's character is revealed through his word, through his commands, through his, uh, his directives with regard to wisdom. So what does it mean to pursue righteousness? Well, once you've been clothed in the righteousness of Christ because you've trusted in him, then there's this idea of practical righteousness. It's seeking to conform your life to what God has said. To be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. To be conformed to the image of Christ. That's righteousness. Faith. You need to grow in faith. And how do you grow in faith? You grow in faith by what? By reading the word of God. By knowing the promises. You can't believe in a promise you don't know. And you can't believe in a promise unless you know the character of the one who's given it. And so pursue right. It says, I'm sorry, I, I skipped some lines. It says, pursue righteousness in, in, in 1 Timothy 6, 11 and godliness. What is godliness? It's like a godwardness. It's this this desire to have a relationship with God. And that relationship is reflected back in all that you are. And then faith, as we, we talked about. Faith, trusting him. The greatest thing you can do to honor a person is to trust them because you're saying that their character is, is, is righteous, it's good, it's faithful, it's solid. And so growing in faith by growing in your knowledge of God's word. And then he says, pursue love. To love as God loves. To love God. To love your brothers and sisters in Christ. If you're pursuing loving your wife or pursuing loving your husband, it's 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 a lot less likely that someone's going to be able to break you up. Pursue perseverance. Perseverance is this this just ability to be consistent and to and to just keep going on. And then gentleness. I know it's not something that we think about sometimes, especially when we think about manhood. Um, there is a sense in which men, if they have to be, can fight. And I mean fight if they have to. But when they don't have to, they're gentle. They're gentle. You ought to be able to, to hold a baby with the greatest gentleness. To hold your wife and touch her face with the greatest gentleness like she was made out of glass. And at the same time, fight like a bear if you have to, to protect those that the Lord has given you. And we'll, we'll talk about that later. Um, now, so he says, flee one thing and pursue the other. Then in 2 Timothy 2.22, now flee from youthful lust, run from it. And the youthful lusts, the, these youthful desires that are within us, when you see them spring up, as I've said, 
You need to crucify them. And if you're struggling with it and you can't seem to get victory and it seems to be growing inside you, then get counsel, godly counsel from your parents or or from a godly pastor. But he says again, flee from youthful lust and do what? Same thing. Pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace. Pursue peace with with those around you, especially this is applicable in a marriage. Pursue peace with your wife, with your husband. Pursue peace with your brothers and sisters in Christ and your brothers and sisters in the flesh. Do whatever needs to be done biblically to be at peace with those with whom you have a relationship. And he says, with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. We live in community. In a marriage is a community of two. There's a community of family, but there's a community also of the people of God. And we shouldn't be living the Christian life like it was some lone wolf thing. We need to uh, be in biblical, godly relationships. Now, I want us to go to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. And we're going to see how this principle is worked out in a most amazing way. So in verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil and he does not tempt anyone. So when you're tempted, it's not God's fault. That's the that's the number one thing you need to pull from that. Verse 14, but each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by the devil. Is that what it says? No, that's not what it says. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lusts. So even if temptation comes and even if it's brought to you by the devil himself, whose fault is it if you give in? Whose fault? Here's another thing that's very, very, very important, extremely important. And I want us to understand this. When Jesus was tempted, okay, a lot of people have this wrong idea that like, okay, Jesus was tempted and he was able to, you know, fight it off. Well, what you need to understand is this. You and I have, we still, even if we're Christians, there's this residue of the old man in us. And there can be sinful desires so that when a temptation comes, it it looks pleasing to us. It looks enticing. It's maybe even we think it's beautiful and we want it. We grab a hold of it. That's because even in Christians, there's still this, um, I like to say, residue of who we were before. In Jesus, that was not the case. When Jesus saw sin, when it was presented before him as a temptation, you got to realize he was holy. He was pure. He had to respond to it, but he hated it. He hated it. Now, so what does that mean for us? Is that we need to not just do something when we're tempted. We need to do something long before we're tempted. And what is that? We need to grow in godliness. We need to, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, we need to renew our mind. We need to not be conformed to this age, but we need to renew 
our mind in the word of God, in prayer, in good books, in fellowship, in the church, in listening to expository messages. We need to renew our mind so that we're not filled so much with these evil desires that 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 when, you know, Satan's hook comes by, we want to grab a hold of it. Okay. So another way to defeat sin is not at the moment when you're tempted, but to be constantly working on being more and more conformed to the image of Christ. So that when that temptation comes, you begin to hate it. As Christ hated it. Now, he says in verse 14, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Okay, sin is deadly. And that's all there is to it. We're going to see that even when we go back to the book of Proverbs, chapter five, that sin is death. It's deadly. It kills every problem in this world goes back to one three letter word. Sin. Nations are at war. Sin. Children are starving, living in poverty. Sin. Uh, mom and dad had a fight. Sin. You disobeyed mom and dad. Sin. You're mad at your brother and he's mad at you. Sin. So d never mistake how deadly sin is. Now, verse 16. He's going to say something very important. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Now, he loves them and he wants them to understand something that they should not be deceived in. And what is that? Verse 17. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting of shadow. A always immutable, unchanging, constant God of goodness and light. That's who he is. Now, a lot of times when people read verses 16 and 17, they separate it from verses 12 and 15. And in doing so, they make a big mistake. They think that doesn't have anything to do with temptation. It has everything to do with temptation. And if you can grasp this truth, it will be so helpful for you. Now, what is the truth? Let's say you're a, you're a teenager. And you're beginning to see that, um, you know, you're a girl and you're beginning to see, man, uh, uh, you like guys uh, or you're a guy and you go, man, girls, um, they're better than I thought when I was younger. Uh, they're attractive. OK, there's no, nothing wrong with that. But here's what Satan's going to do. He's going to he's going to play on that, even though it can be a very healthy and pure desire. He's going to play on it. And what's he going to do? He's going to offer you the ability to satisfy that desire, but in an unbiblical manner. Now. He's going to basically say something like this. God doesn't care about that. God's not thinking about that in your life. He's not thinking about that desire you have. He's not concerned about it. All he cares about is spiritual things. You're beginning to to recognize that the opposite sex is attractive and beautiful and and things like that. You'd love to have a relationship. Well, I'll give it to you now. Because God's not even concerned about it. 
Take it now. Because this is your opportunity. And see, if you sit there, you can go, well, Satan's a liar. And that's that's all you have. Well, that's enough. okay? or that God commanded, don't do that. Well, that's all you have. That's enough. But what I want you to see is there's more. I want you to see through the deception. Satan, when he tempts in some degree, lies about God. God doesn't care. God doesn't care about this desire. God isn't thinking about this. And, and that's a lie. God is the one that created marriage, that, that designed the attraction. Okay? So what you need to say is so this temptation is put before you to have a relationship with a girl or a guy outside of marriage. It's now. Satan's offering it to you or the world's offering it to you or someone is offering it to you. You can say no because it's the right thing to do or you can even be stronger. You can say no, not only because it's wicked and it will lead to ruin and destruction. You can say no because you know that in fact God does care about this desire you have. And you're not going to take this counterfeit offer that will lead to the destruction of your life because God, every good and perfect gift comes from him. And all you have to do is wait upon the Lord. Do you have enough faith to wait upon the Lord? Do you believe him? So someone comes to you and says, you know, here I am. Take me now. But you recognize everything about this is outside of God's will. You reject it because it is outside of God's will, but you reject it because you know it's counterfeit and God has a good and perfect gift waiting for you if you will just wait. You see, so it goes back to it's not just reject the evil, it's run to the good. And in this case, it may mean waiting. Satan is going to come to you and offer you many of the things that God's going to give you. But they're all going to be counterfeit. They're all going to be rotten on the inside and they're all going to lead to death. So you want to have a relationship with a young man or you want to have a relationship with a young lady. Wonderful. Satan will come, though, and he'll say, here it is. But this relationship he's offering you, all of it, the timing the circumstances around it, the person themselves, it's all unbiblical. It's all sinful. It may look beautiful on the outside, but it's rotten to the core. And you need to say, no, I'm not going to do that because it's wrong, because God says it's wrong. But especially I'm not going to do it, because if I take this counterfeit gift, it may ruin my possibility to have the perfect gift that's going to come from my father who never changes. He's the father of lights, no shifting shadow, no darkness in him and no darkness in the gifts he gives. You see how powerful that is? You know, uh, here's what I want you to see. Um, God cares about everything. He knows who you are. He made you. He knows your needs. He knows your desires. There's a way you can satisfy those desires unbiblically and it will destroy you and destroy other people around you. Or you can realize, you know what? I'm going to wait. 
I'm going to believe my God because one day he's going to bring a, a young man or a young woman into my life. It's going to be perfect because it's his plan. It's his person that he has for me. All right. So just to recap, we went a little long. It's not just running away from evil, even though that's definitely needed more than, you know, it's not just running away from evil. It's running to God and God's righteousness, whether it's a marriage or family or any kind of relationship or just life itself. All right. I hope this has been helpful and we'll meet back in Proverbs five again in our next session. God bless you. Let me pray. Father, I pray that you would use this. Oh, dear God, use this. To keep especially youngsters from from taking a counterfeit gift that's maybe beautiful on the outside, but rotten to the core on the inside. Please, dear God. And, and Oh God, work in their heart so that they would see your faithfulness and that every gift you give is like you. Oh dear God, please raise up a generation of young people who walk not only in the fear of the Lord, but the joy of the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.